So hello, everyone. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the author of the book on product-led growth. And I have my favorite co-host here, Ramley. And we have Jia, who was the VP at Unbounds previously and is now kicking butt doing consulting and really helping people and SaaS companies specifically understand their customers better so they can grow faster based on growing more customers. And so I just want to take a step back here and start a little bit more about your career journey, Gia. So can you just share a little bit more about like what got you to where you are today? <laughs> How long do you have? First of all, thank you so much for inviting me. I love talking about product-led growth. So I've been doing marketing professionally for about 20 years. I started out thinking mostly about like building websites and SEO and uh, what I didn't know at the time was like conversion rate optimization and then like social media launched. And I was working for my father's business at the time. And I, you know, I was doing social media marketing for him and running his e-commerce site and running all of marketing and sort of teaching myself as I went. And I shortly thereafter started working for an agency and I joined Twitter, which changed everything for me. Twitter was like my pivotal sort of career moment. Like I went from being a digital marketer helping small businesses with their, you know, their websites and their messaging and their social media marketing and content marketing to being very embedded in this sort of tech and startup community because of Twitter. So I got introduced to all these people locally and I started running local events and I got exposed to the software as a service business model and I was completely hooked and I was like, yes, this is the best, most interesting place for marketers to hang out because in a subscription model, obviously, it's not just about acquisition or building awareness. Marketing has a really critical role to play across the board. Now, you know, use marketing and growth synonymously here because I realize there's a lot of ray as to or a lot of overlap rather between the two, but I'm sort of using them synonymously. So I got sort of fell in love with the SaaS business model and the subscription business model. And I started working with a lot of startups and helping them launch and also grow. And then I was freelancing at the time and I was very overwhelmed with like four or five like clients at any given time or companies that I was working with. And I was about to burn out. I was working all the time. And I was like, it'd be so wonderful if I could just focus all my energy on like one brand and just fall in love with one brand. And then I fell upon Unbounce, and which is a, a tool for marketers. So I had been exploring it anyway. Anyway, it all just sort of happened very, very quickly. I moved across the country. I joined the team. We were 15 employees at the time. Um, I thought I was late to the game. And even though it was quite early, obviously at the time, we were 15 employees. And when I left five years later, we were nearly 200. And we went from, I think, under a million in ARR. And when I left, we were about at 16 million in ARR. But that's a few years ago now. So I was there for five years running marketing, worked amongst the smartest people I had ever had the opportunity to work with. I learned so, so much. And then when I left, I sort of, I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I put it on Facebook that I was leaving uh, just to my like personal you know, friends and family on Facebook back when I was on Facebook. And I like within 20 minutes of me posting that I was leaving, my inbox blew up. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I won't go back in house. Maybe I'll go back to consulting because all of these companies have such like interesting challenges. I didn't really want to say no to any of them. So I decided like, I'm going to go back to consulting and I'm going to, you know, 
sink my teeth into as many as I possibly can. So I started doing strategy for uh, multiple SaaS companies, uh, met Claire Solentrop, who is now my business partner. And she exposed me to this whole other side of the equation. And she really exposed me to like the jobs to be done theory and the sort of marriage of her, what she, like her deep, like research insight and the application of the jobs to be done theory. And along with my more like high level and strategic and operationalizing the two have just completely married and now we are working with companies together and we also run Forget the Funnel together where we do marketing and growth workshops for people in SaaS, for founders, marketers, consultants, product managers, customer success managers, obviously marketers. And yeah, we've been doing that since about mid-2017. But her and I are working together with companies to help them basically build strategies and do customer research, turn that research into something that can be operationalized for the company and then launch strategies based on that. Awesome. And I love that focus on just research because so many companies just skip over that. They just want to get very tactical, start launching stuff very quickly. But if you don't do the research and the hard work, then you're most often going to be working on a lot of the wrong stuff. So it is a huge thing. Now, I am almost positive that all of us in this call could completely agree, like the jobs be done way of doing it, like that totally makes sense. But one thing I think is going to be a fun conversation today is this tweet I pulled up from February 4th, 2020. Beautiful day. So you were (laughs) mentioning on this tweet uh, the differences Mm. between engineering-led, sales-led, product-led, and Mm marketing-led. And so I thought it would be a really interesting discussion to just kind of share, like, what is your perspective between, like, what defines engineering-led? What defines a sales-led company and a marketing-led company? Because it's one of those things that, I mean, nowadays, a lot of people are talking about product-led, and it's the be-all, end-all in SaaS now. But what is the main differences between it? And I want to start off with the first one. So you mentioned like Stripe, Facebook, perfect examples of engineering-led companies. So I want to dig into that a little bit first. Like Mm -hmm. why are those companies in your minds defined as engineering-led? I think first the like lead aspect is really important to sort of clarify because There's no perfect answer to this. And if you ask 10 different people, you get 10 different answers, obviously. But what I think of as led is, and I did a shout out there to Lenny Rachisky in that tweet, because it was a newsletter from him that I actually got me thinking about this. And so I think of led similarly to him in that, what is driving the most amount of growth for a company? And that may be, so in the case of Stripe and Facebook, they were cited as examples because there was Stripe and Facebook, right? Because there's actually other ones that could probably be cited, but (laughs) like small tweaks in engineering, like they look to the engineering team for growth, for revenue growth. And if you think of in sales-led organizations, similar, it's not, you're not looking at the engineering team for your source of growth there. You're looking at the sales team, like what can the sales team do in the next, you know, either this month or or in the next year to really drive growth. And similar with marketing-led, where you would need to be, you know, the, the focus is on building awareness, super critical for companies who are in the category creation space. They have to be marketing-led. So my 
favorite example there being HubSpot in the early days. We're very marketing led. And there's a couple other examples, obviously, and there's product led, which we could talk about, and I'm sure we will. So yeah, it's like the source for the biggest source of growth. Now, there's so many caveats to add to that because the evolution of a company really matters. And HubSpot is a great example of this. Again, they started marketing led because they were in the category creation space, but they've leveraged product led strategies. They've leveraged sales led strategies. They still leverage marketing and you know, led strategies in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, how long has HubSpot been around for now? Like 10, I don't know, I'm guessing 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. At least I think 2000, I heard about them in right. 2000, I think 11. So before right. that. So they've evolved and grown and leveraged all kinds of these strategies. So you can't look at HubSpot today and say, oh, they're marketing led. They're a great example of a company that like has leveraged a bunch of different strategies as opposed to maybe like Marketo, who we could probably reliably say they've been largely sales led. That's not to say they don't do marketing led type things. That's not to say they don't leverage product led growth in some ways, but the most amount of growth I believe, and I, I've never, you know, worked at Marketo. They, I've, you know, I've never worked with Marketo, but the assumption there is that uh, sales has looked to for the most amount of growth of the company. And a lot of the other teams support that effort, if that makes sense. So that's what I mean by led. Product-led growth, I would say, you know, a lot of companies that may not be product-led, like culturally as a business and rely on product-led strategies primarily as a source of their growth can still do product-led things. Agree or disagree? (laughs) I definitely agree. Like there could even be like marketing-led companies that use that. Like a first example, even with HubSpot, they were this marketing-led company for a really long time. And then they had even product-led marketing products like HubSpot mm-hmm. Grader is a perfect example. It's yep. like, hey, let us use our product to quickly show you what your website could be or how it right. could be better very quickly. And I know there's also WordStream with Larry Kim. Yep. There's the AdWords Grader. And I think like those Grader tools are really punchy way of showing like, here's what a product could do, but it's got that marketing lens on it. Like, give us your information so that we could give you a lot of value. And I think it's a brilliant way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I actually think of those tools as more marketing than product led. I don't know what I would call it, like product led. I think of that as more like a, a marketing opportunity. It's like product as marketing, like the channel of marketing where you can leverage a product. And the only reason that I say that is if you're not using your core product, right? Like the, the website grader, correct me if I'm wrong, but the website grader didn't actually leverage HubSpot, like the platform, but the AdWords grader for WordStream may have. So I... I'm not familiar enough with those two products and this years ago that these two were launched. So I'm sure they've changed a lot since you know, I first saw them, but the CRM HubSpot's free CRM, I look at that as a sort of product led growth sort of uh, initiative as opposed to the website grader, which I think was more like an awareness play than it was a product led play, but I might be wrong because it's, and also it could have evolved since then too. So it might be. They may have switched up strategies, but I think when they first launched it, it was like, get HubSpot on the map, right? So help people become aware that HubSpot 
you know, knows what they're talking about and is offering value. And obviously as a lead gen play, they got a lot of emails as a result of that. Uh, So they were able to market to those people. I thought of that as a marketing channel, less so a product led sort of initiative because I, I mean, and obviously chime in and I'm sure you both have opinions about this, but I would think of product-led growth as more the getting your closer to your core product out and available for usage and, you know, kicking the tires of, as opposed to that, which was a little bit detached from their core offering. Yeah, I think there could be a bunch of different ways you could slice and dice it. Depends on how you want to label it. But yeah, I don't know. A part of me still looks at that as the product. And regardless if it's like the core product or not, that is a marketing team thinking like a product team. They're thinking of how could we use yep. our product to essentially, we have these goals, we have lead goals, uh, but what are some other ways we could package our value better so that you know we could increase the trust between us and that potential customer, provide value to them. So I don't think it matters too much how you label, like whether it's marketing-led or product-led, like that is just a smart team at the end of the day trying to get to their goals. And maybe someone's going to write a thousand blog posts to get there. One other team's going to say, how could we strategically create something that's high value for someone? Maybe we just create one tool. And instead of a thousand blog posts, it's just that one single thing. And so I want to go into this one piece that I think is really controversial. No one has a good take on it. So I'd love to hear your take on it, which is just... <laughs> but you, exactly. <laughs> what is it? What is it? So, the difference between sales-led and marketing-led oh. because it's really tricky. Mm. So I'll just let you take it from here. For what kind of business? So if I think of a... Unbounce is a, a good example. Unbounce was very much marketing-led. And I say that because... And maybe I'm biased because I was leading marketing, but I really did genuinely feel like the company was looking to marketing for growth, for new growth, right? We weren't leveraging necessarily expansion strategies, like product expansion strategies super deeply. Like we could have, but that's not where the focus was. We didn't even have a sales team. So that makes that easy. But even then, you know, when a sales team was eventually added, it was, it's, it was still largely marketing that was looked to for the majority of the growth. You know, the HubSpot example. So I think in the early days, no matter what I want, and this was one of the responses to the tweet, which I'm, I'm spacing on who responded to it. Was it Brian? Somebody who was in, in-house at, at HubSpot. I'm really sorry that I'm forgetting who it was. Hopefully he does not listen to this. He was mentioning that like, no matter who sales was talking to, they were generated by marketing. And that is in my mind, marketing led, like that, that's, I don't want to say marketing led growth. Cause it's not necessarily a thing, but like they were marketing led. So they originated in marketing effort, regardless of the fact that they eventually needed sales in some of the cases to take them over the finish line. And I say some of the cases, because I'm sure in some aspects, marketing was generating leads that could onboard into the tool on their own and be self-serve. And I would consider that a little bit more of a product-led approach versus companies that have more complicated buying cycles or buying needs where they had to have that one-on-one sort of attention from sales to then, you know, have them sort of 
again, cross the finish line. I would consider that a marketing-led environment. A sales-led environment, I think, looks to sales as the core driver of growth. Sales does potentially inbound and outbound. So they might have an, like, an outbound sales approach and you know BDRs or uh, an in, inside sales. And they are responsible for drumming up new growth and marketing is at the service of them. So marketing is thought of as their primary goals for a company that is sales. So the primary goals of marketing is like, does sales have everything that they need? You know, are the blog posts that we're producing on our marketing blog useful for sales? Do we have enough case studies to reference? What does sales say they need more case studies for? What, you know, use cases do sales need? And let's go produce that collateral. So it's the mandate of marketing is very, very different in a sales-led organization than in a marketing-led or product-led organization. I actually think of marketing-led and product-led as very similar and super complementary. And I think it's very like the, where one ends and one begins, it's very fuzzy, but uh, the difference between sales and marketing is, I know it's a bit contentious, but I think it's mostly contentious because when you're in an environment where you're not selling to SMBs, you're selling to very complicated and complex need enterprise and, you know, customers, they would even call them clients, right? (laughs) That's a totally different beast. And sales has to be a part of that. I don't actually think they need to be called sales. They could just be called, you know, customer success at the end of the day because they're just helping customers achieve what they need to in order to adopt the product, see value, which may or may not happen inside of the product, depending on the size of the company or the type of product, and to have them sort of engage and become lifelong customers. A lot of time in an enterprise environment, they don't even get to use the product before they have to make a financial decision. So you can be product-led, you can have product-led strategies in an environment like that, but you won't be able to rely on it to cross the finish line. You'll still need one-on-one handholding to cross the finish line. I know I like, I added more to my answer than just the marketing sales comparison, but yeah, it's not black and white for sure. And it really, really depends on the product and it depends on your target customer at the end of the day. Yeah, and I appreciate you going through with that added context too, because the one thing that stuck out to me is the definition and the the filter you look through this is is a lot of it's based on the the mindset or the mandate of the company. Like, who do we look to for growth? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Who's leading the ship? Whereas, whenever I I look at this, I'm saying, how is the way we sell different? Mm-hmm. So if I look at like a sales-led company versus a marketing-led company, uh, marketing-led to me is a lot more efficient because you are using marketing to generate market-qualified leads. And it's not just like a bunch of BDRs going all out <laughs> cold and trying to make a sale. And so in that case, I'm like, okay, marketing-led is a little bit better, but is the way you sell that much different? You still have that like traditional account executive who is going through that closing experience with the buyer. And there's not a whole lot of product until the sale happens. Well, not always. Just because you're marketing led doesn't mean you rely on sales, right? My example of Unbounce, we had no sales. We were very marketing led, but we relied on the product with a customer experience layer on top of it, which was mostly self-serve to help people onward into the product. So I don't think marketing-led implies sales. I think that the two are not necessarily always, they're not always in tandem. I think you can have one without the other. Okay. 
That's an interesting perspective. What are your thoughts, Ramon? Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. I'm, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to think about, and you're starting to allude to that, Gia, is you know what kind of companies fit better for the different types, like whether you know a certain company fits better for product led or marketing led or sales led. You talked a little bit about enterprise. You know what type of company fits best for different go to market strategies. You know what, enterprise is the segment that I have the least amount of experience in. And that's probably because I am quite pro product-led approaches and marketing-led approaches. And I, I don't like to rely on a high-touch sales as much as I can help it. Like I will always try to advise the companies that I work with to move away from relying on sales to close a deal, so to speak. I don't even like the term close a deal. So for me, that's why I do lean on customer-led whenever possible, because the only thing that matters at the end of the day is that the experience that you are providing is relevant and lands and is appropriate for the customer, your best fit customer. And so if they need a high touch sales, well, then unfortunately it's high touch sales, hopefully for the least amount of that customer experience as possible, because obviously it's not super cost effective or it's, you know, relying on high touch sales is very expensive. But if you, if you have to do it, then because your customers won't be able to cross the finish line without them, well, then of course you have to have sales. But in, if you have customers who the last thing they want to do is talk to somebody on the phone, the last thing they want to have to do is have like an email exchange with someone, which is just as painful in my opinion, then that's not the strategies you should be using. You should be using a product-led strategy. The thing that I find so interesting about product-led growth is that there is a reliance on a... So software as a service and subscription models rely so highly on customer loyalty and value and retention and, you know, uh, delivering value consistently over time. And you can't do that. You can't really build that type of relationship with your customers in order to retain them over time without really understanding them very deeply and sort of giving them the sense that they are understood that they, you know, you think of what they need before they do, you know, you're teeing up the, just the perfect experience for them because you know them so well, which is like this high, it implies like a high touch sort of experience that somebody would need to feel like a real connection to the brand. But at the same time, you need to create that same feeling in a one-to-many sort of environment, which means customer research is so like if you're not listening to your customers of what they need and what's the most appropriate experience for them and what they need to see before the next thing and sort of the the hierarchy of how you introduce certain parts of the product or certain value propositions, then you're not going to be able to leverage product-like growth effectively. So you have to know, you have to like intimately know your customers and then offer them a one-to-many experience in order to leverage the scalability and of product-like growth and the, you know, lowering the cost to acquire customers and all the wonderful things that product-led growth allows you to do, but you can't be successful in product-led growth without deep customer understanding. Like you just can't have one without the other. Otherwise it's a lot of trial and error. You can try, uh, but it's a lot of trial and error and it can take you a long time and you may have some pretty serious missteps if you don't listen carefully to what your customers need and not only listen, but like proactively seek out what your customers actually need. So I don't know if I really answered your question, but ultimately the, answer is always 
what do your customers say? What do your customers need? Which is why I followed up with that tweet, by the way, with like, for the record, I'm for customer-led growth. And I actually think that product-led strategies become available to you when you are customer-led. And as many times as I can marry those two things, I absolutely try to do because I don't believe in a, you know, if there are a hundred companies right now that are relying on a high touch sales, maybe 10 of them actually need as high touch of sales as they're currently offering. They just don't know that there's another way that they could be attracting and onboarding their customers. It's just the way they've always done it. Definitely. I think there's a lot of scenarios between like customer led, product led, because like it, to me, product-led is all about the user, whereas sales-led, marketing-led, that was a lot about the buyer. Like, let's approach the, the VPs and make sure that we're in contact with them so that we can nurture them and sell to them. Where product-led, it's like, it's all about that user and let's give them the best possible experience. And you can't do that unless you really do understand them well. So there's like so much to be said about like the research phase of it. Like, how do you understand your users, especially when you don't talk to all of them? <laughs> because in a sales environment, you can have a lot more of those conversations. But I'm curious, like for since you do have a lot of experience working with product-led companies with focusing specifically on the customer-led growth, like what do you see as like those main barriers where people are like trying out product-led growth? They are seeing maybe some wins, but like it's not hitting it off the charts. So what do they get wrong about it? Yeah. Generally how they're measuring success, I would say it's the biggest, I want to, where I was hesitating there, cause I want to say it's a cultural problem. I want to say like terrible KPIs is actually a cultural problem. And when I say culture, I mean like company culture, not like societal, although that's debatable too. So there's so many aspects to this. I will, I'm trying to think of what the best place to narrow, to sort of zoom in on this is. So let's say marketers who are tasked with just generating leads and like leads, it's all about, you know, quantity of leads. And I know, you know, most marketers are smart enough to know it's not about quantity of leads, it's about quality of leads, but like what defines a quality lead? Like, do, is there a solid understanding of what, you know, makes somebody a great fit customer for your product? There's a lot of misunderstanding about that and sort of getting really clear on that being the measure of success for marketing is often missed. And it's just about like, we just need those demo requests or we just need those trial signups and like, fuck it with what happens on the other side of that. And the sort of the moment that that became really obvious to me is my, so at Unbounds, I would work back to back. I was the, you know, in the early days, it was uh, director of marketing, director of customer success. And we worked super closely together. Again, remember there's no sales team in this equation, but this KPI that we shared was the trial to paid conversion rate. And it had to be shared because customer success was often responsible for helping people, obviously, you know, when they had questions, when they were onboarding into the product, they produced like workshops and webinars on how to get started and things like that. And marketing was obviously responsible for bringing in, you know, new people who were interested in evaluating whether or not it was right for them. So that KPI of like trial to paid conversion rate was this first sort of moment where I was like, this is not a numbers game at all. This is a quality game. And I also, I remember having a conversation with my CEO and I was like, if this guy wants more leads, like I can just pay for them. Like it's easy to pay for leads. Right. And so that's what I mean by the broken KPIs. And there's lots more examples that are not in marketing. 
but that are in um, either product or customer success, depending on how you, you know the, the team is broken down. But one of my favorite ones to pick on is like product activation and how a company defines whether or not a new customer has actually activated or hit their aha moment or whatever you like to call it, their f- first value, whatever you call it. So there's lots of ways to sort of, there's lots of names for it and there are lots of definitions of it. And if you are just saying that like they entered a credit card and that's a moment for us and they logged in for the first time and you're like, cool, now let's tell them like, let's get them using this thing every week. Like you're missing the point. And I don't think that you can really understand when somebody hits that value moment, unless you're doing enough research to know what it is they were looking for in the first place. And that's actually where, why I love the Jobs to be Done framework and that it sort of fueled this for me is the identifying of the struggle somebody experiences out in the world. Typically, those it is like the person who will champion the solution, right? They're the person that feels the pain the most viscerally. It may not be the buyer, but it is the person who experiences the problem that's being solved. So like, what's that problem? What does that feel like for them? What is pushing them forward to solving this? What does good need to look like for them? And also what's their desired outcome? What's their ultimate desired outcome? And if you can get really clear on that, which is very jobs to be done, like theory, right? The, when I, I want to, so I can, if you can get very clear on that and then take that knowledge which requires customer research to find out and then apply it and look at your product and sort of retrofit that to your best fit customers. And like, what did they do six months ago? What was the moment for them when they saw value and identify your best customers in there and see what the actions were that they took in their first hours, days, weeks of using your product? Well, then activated or aha or first value should have a very clear definition that is based in that moment. What are the things that needed to happen? The easiest example for me to reference, just because I'm allowed to, is the definition of activated at Unbounce was very easy, right? It was a combination of a few things happening inside the product. They had to run a minimum amount of traffic to their landing page. They had to, I'm going to forget them now, of course, now that I'm like citing them off, but minimum amount of traffic, a minimum amount of integrations turned on. And there was a couple of other things, a couple of features that were used where we needed to see somebody had achieved those moments in the product or, you know, seen that value in the product to actually consider them in the early stages of evaluating the tool for them. If they didn't achieve those things, there was no point in talking to them about anything else. We're going to talk to them about frequency of usage or try to get them back into the product to use it in these more sophisticated ways if they didn't actually get to that first value, which demonstrated to them that you were going to solve that problem that they came to you for. And so all of these things like work, you know, it's qualitative and quantitative sort of, you know, meeting in the product and coming up with KPIs that actually are indicative of somebody achieving value or taking a leap of faith or hitting that success milestone. Um, And I think right now people are really lazy about KPIs and most of the KPIs are very uh, self-serving or they're focused on the business reaching value as opposed to customers reaching value. And that's problematic for so many reasons, not only because it's often they're void of meaning, like credit card entered or MQL or SQL, but also because they sort of, they don't do anything to help the team build any sort of empathy or understanding about customers. And they can often incentivize people to behave in like bad, like terrible ways, i.e. just paying for more leads, 
just throwing money at the problem and, you know, generating a bunch of crappy leads for customer success or sales. Absolutely. And I'm so happy you mentioned having that like quantity and quality metric because so many teams just don't have that quality metric. And having it, it just is a a huge clarifying, has that clarifying effect on a company where it's like, okay, let's not just focus on this crazy number, whether it's subscribers or number of signups, but what are they doing in the product? And I was laughing a bit because there's so many names for what do you call that? Like, is it the aha moment, the success moment, product qualified lead moment? (laughs) Like, There is a million names for this. But what it's all pointing to is just measure the success of your user to make sure that they're getting value out of the product. And I think a lot of teams can definitely make the mistake of uh, whenever they're naming that, it might just be something that's self-centered. Like, hey, this is someone that is just maybe paying for the product, but that doesn't actually show you they're getting value out of it. So I love that you mentioned that one example too, because it is so important. I think some people listening are definitely going to be like, oh, I should probably change that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it. It's not that teams don't know that it should be attached to more meaning. I think like it's like shoemaker shoes, right? Like, like you can often make mistakes that you just sort of take for granted because there's fires that need to be put out over here. And so, you know, we know we need to solve for this. We know we should be, you know, measuring this more meaningfully or have a better KPI here, but they just don't have time to stop where they don't prioritize stopping and doing a bit of research and trying to gather enough research to come up with a proper hypothesis to then validate. Sure. And so the one piece I want to dig into while we wrap up is the focus on how do you understand what is success for that user? Because we, you mentioned that unbalance example. It sounded pretty scientific. <laughs> there was a lot of check-the-box moments on what someone had to do to, to see value, what you monitor. I mean, we've also heard of like Facebook, the seven friends. So like, there's so many examples that are out there, but how do you go about solving that for companies when they are really not sure? Like, How do we figure out what this success metric is? I think the simplest way to do it It's a learning process that has to happen over time. And I am not proposing that what I'm about to say is the end all be all. It is the start of the story, not the end of the story. But I do think that you can do some relatively simple research, both qualitative and quantitative. Like if it's surveys, fine. If you absolutely have to come up with a hypothesis based on surveys, no problem. But like interviews is obviously better. But if you can come up with a hypothesis for what you believe your customer's job to be done is, then you have enough to go on to create an experience that introduces the product to them in a way that will address their needs. And then how they use the product is measured based on that. And there will be a few sort of key product features generally that will speak to that struggle and that need. And if you can introduce those in the right way, position them correctly, you know, be sort of thoughtful about how you introduce them and then measure based on like measure your ability to have people sort of hit that next, that aha moment or whatever you want to call it, then you're in a good position to then iterate and continue to learn. But the, it's not actually that complicated 
of a process. It doesn't actually take that long. We can, you know, we do it with companies in a matter of weeks where we can turn around research and a hypothesis for what kind of customer experience they should be creating for the product onboarding. And I'm only talking about product onboarding here in a really short time where like based on the customer research, here's what we believe your early product experience needs to look like. Here's what we believe you can use as a measure of success for that. Now run this program and let's validate it. And it's not going to be perfect. We will need to iterate on it, but at least it's based in customer data. But one thing that I think does get often skipped is that all customers tend to be created equally. That's really dangerous. Segmentation of your customers is such an important part of this. So when a lot of the time when we talk about customer research, our students or the companies we work with are like, okay, we'll send a survey out to all of our customers. I'm like, no, that is the worst thing you could do. Do not survey all of your customers. Like, let's talk about the smallest group of your customers that are getting the most amount of value that onboarded in your product as like seamlessly and easily, like which were your customers that this was a no brainer for and then ignore everybody else. And there might be other segments of customers that you can serve quite well, but the product isn't adapted for them yet, or that you want to evolve to, or that you may want to attract in the future. And I think that's all valid, but you have to sort of zoom in on a group first. And I think from that group, you can then break up even likely from there in actually always from there. If you send, for example, a survey out to, you know, 500 of your absolute best customers, you can take that data back and find patterns and then prioritize your hypothesis based on those patterns. So you may identify that there is one particular struggle that people come to you for that stands out more than the rest, that has the highest value customers, that is the easiest for you to attract. Like there's a business decision in there too. Like it's not just about the customer data. There's a balancing act between what customers are telling us and what we actually want to do, right? So you may be attracting a bunch of bad fit customers. They may be paying you tons, but you don't actually want to solve for them and your long-term plans aren't to solve for them. Like you have to use your brain and you don't just take customer data as gospel. You have to slice and dice it so that it's super meaningful. And even companies that we work with that we do that with, we will identify two or three different groups of customers that are all high value and that get a ton, like you'd have to, you know, pry the product out of their cold, dead, cold pants. But even then you'd still need to zoom in on the struggle and meet that need and meet that desired outcome. And you may find that like what, how I often implement this with companies is I'll, I'll say like, here's the highest priority sort of product onboarding experience that you can create. And then we'll do the second group and the third group. So you're actually accommodating all of them, but they all have a slightly different experience that sort of leads people to a slightly different desired outcome and addresses a slightly different struggle. So that's an ideal scenario where you could get to a unique product onboarding, depending on the struggle that you're solving for them. A lot of horizontal companies like, you know, uh, Typeform is a good example where there's multiple use cases and they need a slightly different product onboarding depending on the use case because just the language is totally different, the need is totally different, the product might be the same, but their experience layer on top of that product needs to be quite different. And yeah, I mean, as much as you can create the most relevant and yet scalable experience, the better, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. Interesting. And so if you could leave just like one good old piece of advice for companies to become more customer-led, what would that be? 
So I think it's the KPIs would probably be the one that I think is probably the most broken. I want to say, get your marketer off thinking only about acquisition. That's kind of like my favorite thing to say, like stop handcuffing your marketer with only being responsible for leads. I think that is the, you know, the most short-sighted way that you can leverage marketing for a SaaS company because uh, there's so many post-acquisition opportunities and marketing has a lot to add post-acquisition. But I think the measurement piece is probably even worse. I think measuring piecemeal or like micro-conversions, I think we have this addiction to you know, vanity metrics for lack of a better expression. I'm, I'm using a catch-all. I, I don't just mean like social media followers. I mean like, you know, a, a conversion rate on a website like might be totally meaningless. We tend to incentivize, like unknowingly incentivize bad behavior in our teams because the KPIs that we're using are so void of customer meaning. And if we can come up with customer success milestone associated KPIs, then our team just has a much better understanding of why they're doing what they're doing and how to provide value. And actually there's, I recently cited this, I'm going to space on his name again. I don't know why I always space on this guy's name. It's okay. It happens to me all the time. I feel like this is my Achilles heel. I'm like, names. <laughs> I don't know them. I know. <laughs> I'll find it for you. But it's essentially like he is a psychologist professor at Harvard, or he was, I'm sorry, he's passed away now. And he was like, point to the mountain. Like the mountain that we are all climbing has to be the same mountain for everyone. Like everything is up for debate except the mountain that we are on. And I think that meaningful KPIs really help teams to understand that mountain. And without those, with just thinking about piecemeal marketing or conversion rates or audience size, we're missing out on the big picture, I think. Now, here's an interesting curveball of a question. So I'm all for that. And I think it's like really having the right KPIs is so important for any company. But as an organization, what are your thoughts around pricing? So I think pricing has a really big impact on everything you just mentioned. So mm -hmm. for instance, if you think of Stripe, how do they make money? They make money when you make money. And like the way you charge people, I think it's a really incredible way. Like we talked about that success metric again. But I think it's like if it's the way you charge people, it's actually in your DNA as a company to service that customer in that specific capacity. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, is it just like, okay, there's, there's picking the right metric, but how does it come down to the pricing? And like in your experience, does pricing really have that big of an impact? I think it does for sure. And especially for a product that is relying on the product to, to do the talking as opposed to a collateral or, or a salesperson to explain the value. I think it is really, really critical. And the pricing does need to be very closely associated with customer value. And if that means more of the company, like the company will experience more value if more people at the company are using the product, fine. If it's a, a, you know, a certain, like the Stripe example you gave, fine. But both are associated with the company being successful. So I think they do need to be super closely related, especially in a product-led product environment, as opposed to in a sales-led environment where it could be massaged for meaning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. 
Okay. No, that's, that's really interesting. I, I think we have really covered a lot in this specific session. I love it because we started with the, the nice controversy of marketing-led versus sales-led versus engineering-led versus customer-led. I mean, there's so many ways you could lead a company. Mm-hmm. But I think we can all agree at the end of this call that the, the main focus, regardless of what strategy you're trying to use, is just prioritize the success of whoever's using your product. Yes. Because essentially, they're going to be the ones paying for it. Even if they're not the buyer initially, they're going to be the ones advocating for another product because they hate your product if they don't like it. And so it's so important just to prioritize that. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a blast. And I want to know, where can people find out more about you, some of your work online? Mm. Well, definitely forget the funnel.com, probably the best place to go. We're going to have a few things rolling out over the next couple of months. We've got some really cool interviews coming. And then also Twitter is a good place too. Yeah, that would be it. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. 